life song for leading us in worship. And may the Holy Spirit start a fire in each of us in our congregation as we seek to practice faithful presence to God with each other, with our neighbors, and make disciples of all nations. Hear the familiar words of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Lord, start a fire in our church and in each of us that we may become the disciples that you dream for us to be, that we may further your kingdom work and make disciples and teach and live out all that you have taught us. May our life together as a congregation reflect the life and love of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you take your worship guide and turn to the back page? Towards the middle of that page, we see the vision statement summaries. I'll be referring to those later in the message. Again, this was in June of 2018. We adopted five uh, longer vision statements around the areas of discipleship, fellowship, worship, evangelism, and missions. And these are summaries of those longer statements. Now back to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The disciples, the 11 disciples, come to the mountain where Jesus instructs them to go, and they see Jesus, the risen Lord. He has been raised from the dead. Verse 17 says, they worshiped him, and then this very remarkable line, but some doubted. Some doubted. What are these doubts about? I don't think that the doubters in the group uh, disbelieve the resurrection. I do not think that they believe they're seeing a ghost. Because if we look at the other resurrection appearances in the Gospels, once the disciples see Jesus, now it often takes them a while to understand it's Jesus, but once they see and recognize Jesus, they believe he is the risen Lord. Even Thomas, he doubts when he hears that Jesus is alive, but once he sees Jesus with his own eyes, he says, my Lord and my God. So the word doubt in verse 17, it seems to me, doesn't refer to skepticism or a lack of belief. Instead, it seems more likely that it refers to a sense of being overwhelmed by all that has happened and then a wavering and a hesitation in light of being overwhelmed. They do not understand yet and they cannot explain what has happened. 
And so there is this sense of being overwhelmed. They believed that Jesus would conquer the Romans, kick out the Romans from Jerusalem and Israel. The disciples believed that Jesus would inaugurate a new era of faithfulness to God in Israel. But their hopes were dashed when Jesus was crucified. Now he is alive and it is wonderful. It is amazing and it is also overwhelming. What does it all mean for the world? What does it mean for them? What does it mean for their lives, their families? What does it mean for their own little band of disciples? They are, it seems to me, more than skeptic. They're not skeptical. They're they're overwhelmed. Well, we know what it's like to be overwhelmed. We know what it's like to be overwhelmed by the the challenges of the world, the struggles of the world, the tragedies in the world. And we know what it's like to be overwhelmed by the struggles and challenges and fears and disappointments of our own lives. And in the midst of that, sometimes we're able to keep the faith in incredibly strong ways and sometimes we waver Sometimes we doubt, not usually because we disbelieve, but because we're overwhelmed. And we waver and we ask questions like, is God really with us? Or can God really work through us? Or does God want to work through us as a church or as individuals? We know what it's like to be overwhelmed. But there's an amazing thing that happens in this passage. Verse 17 says, uh, some doubted. But then in verse 18, Jesus gives his great commission to all 11 disciples. He doesn't differentiate between the doubters and the non-doubters. He doesn't say, okay, you who are not doubting right now, you go and make disciples. He says to them all, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Which suggests that you and I do not have to have it all together before Jesus calls us to continue his work. And we don't have to have all of our questions answered and all of our doubts satisfied. And we don't have to get all of the wavering out of the way before Jesus fulfills his promise in verse 20. I'm with you always. He says it, the promise, I'm with you always. He says it to the doubters and the non-doubters alike. And that is wonderful news. We don't have to have it all together to be a part of Jesus' team. He takes imperfect, sinful, fragile disciples like us and he chooses to be with us and he chooses to do his work in the world through us. So he handles the doubters, it seems to me, by including them with everybody else in his commission. But before he gives the commission in verse 19, 
In verse 18, he establishes, he establishes his authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there is certainly a sense that in verse 18, he establishes his authority to set the table for the commands that he's about to give. Uh, He can command them what to do because he has authority over them. But I believe there's more going on in verse 18 when Jesus establishes authority. He's not just looking ahead to verse 19, but I believe he's looking back to verse 17. And I believe he's saying to the doubters, even though you doubt, even though you hesitate, even though you are wavering, here's an invitation to trust. Jesus is saying, here's an invitation to trust in his authority, to trust in him. Because when we think of Jesus as having authority in heaven and on earth, it's another way of saying in the old children's song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Authority rests for all of creation, for all of the world. Authority rests for you and your family and all of us. Authority rests for our congregation, not in our ability to be faithful and not in how well we do the work that Jesus has called us to do. No, authority, all authority in heaven and on earth rests in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Now, we still have a role to play. These commandments that Jesus gives, they're not optional. We have to obey. And and we are responsible for our actions. But the good news of the gospel, as Jesus establishes his authority in verse 18, is the truth that the world is not held together by our effort, and your life and your family and our church is not held together by our efforts. It's held together by Jesus, who holds you and me and us and the world in his hands. And we are invited to live under and by his glorious and wonderful authority. I learned about authority. I learned about living under and embracing authority as a senior in high school. I didn't learn authority from our principal, even though I respected Dr. Wren. And I didn't learn authority from our basketball coach, even though I respected Coach Weaver. I learned authority from my English teacher, Miss Joyner, who was as tiny and thin and silvery-haired a person as you can imagine. She had a Snoopy doll. Any fans of Snoopy in here? She had a Snoopy doll. She dressed Snoopy in the blue and white colors of our Grimsley High School Whirlies. I won't talk about that mascot. I'll explain it to you later if you're, if you're interested. I'm proud to be a Whirly. And she, she conversed with Snoopy as a part of her lectures. That was a little strange for us. It really was. She had authority first because she was our teacher. She was given authority through her title. But she had authority in much deeper ways. She had authority with us because she knew how to write and she had a passion for teaching us how to write. She had authority because we knew that she loved us. And we knew that She not only wanted us to be good writers, the best that we could be, but she wanted us to be the best people we could be. And some of of you are thinking right now of, of teachers just like that, and some of you are those teachers. There was an authority that she had that rested not just in her title, but in her love. 
And so Jesus has the title. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is given authority because of his obedience even unto death on a cross. All of that is the foundation of his authority and there's more. Jesus has authority over the world and over you and me and our church because he longs for us to become like him. And Jesus has authority because he loves you and he loves me. And so when Jesus gives these commands, he's not lording it over us and ordering us to do something we may or may not want to do. When Jesus exercises his authority over us as a congregation and gives us a commission, it is given in love and out of a desire for us to be blessed through participating in his work. Jesus has authority. And so to the doubters and the non-doubters, Jesus says, come on in. And under my authority, under which everything holds together, let's do this work of making disciples of all nations. So Jesus, before he gives the Great Commission, establishes his authority and love. Notice that at the end of the commissioning, he says, remember I am with you always, even unto the end of the age We do this work and we live under this authority, not as some arbitrary authority that's impersonal up in heaven, even though that's where Jesus is, but we live out the commission under the authority of Jesus with him walking with us side by side in faithful presence. Jesus is faithfully present with us through the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And because of this, we can live lives of faithful presence before God and each other and our neighbors. Now, it's hard for us to sustain faithful presence. Only by the Spirit can we do so. Jesus, he doesn't say, remember I'm with you sometimes. He says, remember I'm with you always. He sustains it in all ways and at all time. Many of you maybe were able to attend the uh, Marshall basketball game last night. We lost in overtime, but what an incredible end of the game at regulation. Uh, we were down four, and somehow, some way, John Elmore hits a three-point shot and is fouled, and he makes the free throw. And, and then we get the ball back, and there are a couple of timeouts, and, and it was exciting. Here's an observation. I'd say probably for about seven or eight minutes, everybody in the arena was on their feet, and we were cheering, and we were, we were woohooing and all that kind of stuff. And I was concerned that I might not have the voice to preach this morning, so I'm glad that I'm here to speak. And at the end of regulation, when we didn't hit the winning shot, we were exhausted. And we couldn't sustain the level of cheering throughout the overtime. We couldn't do it. It's hard to sustain that kind of energy on and on and on. And it's hard to sustain faithful presence with each other and with our world. The good news is that Jesus doesn't have our limitations. Jesus doesn't have our energy limitations. Jesus doesn't have our focus limitations. Jesus is not limited by sin the way we are, which means Jesus can fulfill his promise to be with us always. Okay, he established his authority. He'll establish his faithful presence. He's speaking to the doubters as well as the non-doubters. And then he says, make disciples of all nations. 
make disciples of all nations. We could spend a year's worth of sermons talking about that phrase, make disciples of all nations. We'll look at it this morning just through the lens of our vision summary statement. So if you will turn to the back of your worship guide and we'll walk through these statements as a way of thinking about uh, the command to make disciples. The fourth line says, we help people meet Jesus. Uh, we begin that process of making disciples by sharing people with people who do not know the love of Jesus like we do, how much he loves them, and we invite them to follow him with us. But the work doesn't end there of making disciples. Making disciples is a lifelong effort for all of us because none of us ever fully arrive in this life as the disciples we were made to be. So the top statement, we help each other become more like Jesus. That's an ongoing thing. We will always be doing this. We will always, in the power of the Spirit, be seeking to become more like Jesus. We will be making disciples in this place, fulfilling the Great Commission as we become more like Jesus. To make disciples is to make people, through the power of the Spirit, who love one another unconditionally. We never arrive at that, so we, were, we are always growing in the journey of discipleship. To be a disciple is to worship God wholeheartedly, our worship vision statement. And to be a disciple is to love our hurting world, to work for the kingdom, to, to love in the ways that Jesus loves. There are many ways to think of this call to make disciples. I suggest that these vision statement summaries give us a good picture, a good handle on what it means to make disciples of those who are not yet disciples and those of us who are already disciples. But then the question comes, how? How do we make disciples of our neighbors, of our community, of all nations? How do we become disciples here in this place? That looks different for different churches. It looks different for different people. It looks differently in different eras of church history. But I suggest that for us, to fulfill the Great Commission as a church family, as individuals, is to seek to be faithfully present with each other, and with our neighbors. And through our faithful presence with each other, we believe the Spirit is at work drawing people to Christ if they do not know him and helping us become more like Jesus if we already know him. Discipleship, making disciples, it is relationally intensive. It is something that happens uh, as individual followers of Jesus gather around one another. It is something that happens when people who are not disciples yet uh, rub elbows with people who are and get a taste, a glimpse, a sense of the presence of Christ. It is something that happens best, I believe, face-to-face, person-to-person. Uh, when we first moved to Wilmington in 2007, the summer of 2007, there was a street preacher who took up residence at the busiest intersection in town. And he was very creative with his signs. His street ministry was having signs that he would both sandwich board signs that he wore on himself and then signs that he would carry around calling people to repent and then listing on those signs the names of famous people that he thought were what he called antichrist. Now, what I remember most about this preacher, this street preacher, is that he had a pet, not a pet, excuse me, a puppet monkey. He had a puppet monkey, I kid you not, he had a puppet monkey that he, you know, sat on his shoulder while he did his thing. Um, I hope people were kind to him. I hope people were not mean to him. My guess is there were probably some mental illnesses going on for him. 
but he took seriously the call of Jesus to go, and he went. And God is able to do amazing things beyond what we can imagine, but my guess is not many disciples were made through his ministry because disciples are made face to face, not through signs posted at busy intersections. It is when people together encounter the presence of Christ that we meet Jesus and we become more like Jesus. Here again, verse 20, remember I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so when we seek to grow and become more like Jesus, when we want to help people meet Jesus, we want to be with them because we know that Jesus is with us and in the interaction of the relationship, we trust that the other person and ourselves, that we will encounter Jesus together. And when we encounter Jesus together and we have communion with one another, we have communion with Christ and his work gets done. So it was about 10 minutes before worship and I was walking to the sanctuary and I immediately recognized the stranger in the hallway. It was the puppet monkey that gave him away. It was the street preacher and I got nervous very quickly, very nervous, very quickly. And I thought he's going to make a scene in our worship service. Where is Doug Myers when I need him the most? And so we came up to each other and he began to rattle off everything that was printed on all of his posters. And all of a sudden I was no longer nervous. I believe it was the spirit working in, within me. And I was filled with a sense of sadness and compassion for him. Because like me, he is a lonely person. Like me, he is a broken person. Like me, he is a sinner. And like me and you, God loves him. And he is a brother in Christ. And so I interrupted him and I said, where are you from? And he said, San Francisco. And it was a beautiful moment because before when he's doing his little script thing, it's like he's reading the script from the back of his eyelids. But when he said San Francisco, there was a little bit more life in his face and he looked at me and we, our eyes met and then he's back on script and I interrupt him again and I say, hey, tell me, how long have you been preaching and how did God call you to do this? And he said, well, I was walking on the streets of San Francisco about 20 years ago and God got my attention and, and I've been, gave me this message and I've been sharing it ever since. And, and there was some life in his face and he looked at me when he said this and then he was back on script telling me about all the members of Ronald Reagan's cabinet that fulfill some kind of prophecy from Revelation. The Lord had not updated his message since the 1980s. He finished his little speech. He handed me the printed version of it. I invited him to worship, but he turned around and walked away, and I never saw him again. But for just a few moments, we were one, we experienced our oneness in Jesus. For just a few moments, we were just two people having a conversation, eye to eye, face to face, and Jesus was there. 
Remember, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. I'm with you when you connect with another person, eye to eye, face to face, soul to soul. I'm with you when you're helping people to meet Jesus. Jesus is with us when we're helping one another become more like Jesus. Jesus is with us when we're trying to worship as best we can wholeheartedly. Jesus is with us when we're seeking to serve and bless our hurting world. And Jesus is with you and with me and with us when we doubt and when we hesitate and when we waver and when we're overwhelmed by all that this life brings our way, Jesus says, I am with you always. And only because he's with us can we do the work that he calls us to do. And only because he's with us can we survive in this incredibly difficult world in which we're placed. Jesus is with us always, and he's with us with authority. The authority of who he is as God the Son, as Christ the King, as the one who holds all things together, the world and your world and mine. Jesus is with us in authority as the one who's working in you and in us right now to make us more like him. Jesus is with us in authority, not just because of what he's done for us on the cross, but for, but for what his actions on the cross represent, his incredible love for you and for me. Jesus is with us always in authority, and that is a wonderful thing. And Because he is with us, will you come to the table and open yourself to his faithful presence? Will you come to the table whether you're doubting or wavering right now or whether you feel strong? It's good that you feel strong right now. It'll soon be when you won't feel strong, but rejoice now. And come to the table as the sinner that you are, as the sinners that we are, for we are sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. Come to the table and let Jesus make you a better disciple and leave from the table to go and participate in his work in making others disciples. Come to the table and bow to his wonderful authority of love that he may do his work in you and in us. Come to the table and savor his faithful presence, the presence of the one who said, remember, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Let us pray. We thank you for your faithful presence which is with us always. Now we pray that the meal that we share, in this meal, we pray, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit we may encounter your presence in amazing ways. And being so nourished by your presence, send us from this place to practice your presence with each other and the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.